happy holidays, and thanks for joining us for Episode 7 of the Benton County Public Podcast. This podcast was created to keep you informed of what's happening in Benton County, Oregon, and today's episode is our year-end episode of 2023. My name is Dan Crawl. I'm the host and producer of the Benton County Public Podcast. Benton County is a great place to live and work. If you're interested in learning about jobs with Benton County, you can visit co.benton.or.us and click on Careers. On today's episode, we're going to visit the Benton County Fairgrounds where the Pastega Christmas Lights display is going on through the 1st of January. And we'll talk with Ken Pastega, who is now 77 years old, and in his last year of organizing this longtime tradition, started by his parents back in 1981. We'll also catch up with Cindy D'Angelilo R.N., who is a public health nurse and the immunization program coordinator for Benton County Health Department. We'll conclude the episode with a look ahead to events in Benton County, and we'll hear some holiday tunes from local musicians. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 7 of the Benton County Public Podcast. listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. This is Dan Crawl, and I am recording this on a Friday evening. It's dark out, and there is a holiday lights display just to my left here at the Benton County Fairgrounds in this open area, where the last time I remember being here was for the county fair, not far from the rodeo grounds and the pony shed. And I'm standing here with Tommy Douglas, who is the director of Natural Areas, Parks, and Events, also known as NAPE. How's it going? Uh, It's going awesome. This is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And we can hear in the background holiday music, and we are just a few feet away from Ken Pastega, who has put on this holiday lights display effort for some time. Yes, and actually it started, you know, years and years ago. Ken can tell you, you know, the full history. Um, But it's been here at the fairgrounds for over a dozen years, and we've loved having uh, the the, the show here. It's an awesome holiday tradition, frankly, for our staff. Um, And actually, just before you got here, I gave Ken a key to the fairgrounds, Um, (laughs) an honorary element, of course. Will it actually get him in? uh, Yes, actually, yes. If you give, if you come at four a.m., yeah, you can show up at four a.m. It's obviously ceremonial, but you know, we really wanted to just have some sort of special way to thank him and his family for all they've done. I mean, he does all of this at his own expense. I mean, he brings in dozens of volunteers, hundreds of hours. It's just this awesome, awesome community gift. Like, he's our own Santa. Um, But anyway, so we gave him the key as a thank you. Um, And yeah, we're just here tonight kind of kicking things off, and it is cold and awesome and twinkly, and everyone seems really happy. Now, for those who are listening who can't see what we see before us, 
Why don't you describe this holiday lights display that is here at the fairgrounds, as you said, for now over a dozen years? This light show has a long history, right? And it used to be up, at, it originated up at the old um, Pastega Pepsi bottling plant. Um, right. They had a big, long, North dramatic driveway, right, which was perfect for setting up this awesome light display. You know, times change, things change, people have moved around. Um, and we've had different, you know, routes here at the fairgrounds of how cars have driven through the area. And as buildings in the fairgrounds have changed, and we, you know, so we added the solar building and added walls to it, all of a sudden it had walls and we could put lights up on them. So it's evolved as the fairgrounds have evolved and it's been really fun to have those folks here every year. And uh, Ken's let us know that this is the last year of the light show. I mean, I think they're ready to hang up their lights and let some new traditions take their place. Um, so we just, yeah, wanted to come out tonight, give him the key and thank him for all this awesome community volunteerism and sponsorship of, yeah, this is just, I mean, who does this, right? What kind of communities have people who give this kind of a gift to their entire community for free? So. Well, oftentimes it is a, a special philanthropist or a volunteer or someone with a, a given passion that uh, will put something like this on and then it's just very lucky that that person would hang around and keep the tradition going and of course uh, Ken Pastega's parents started this 1981 (laughs) back when Mario was the owner of the Pepsi bottling plant and his wife had a passion for creating a lot of these uh, wooden cut holiday decorations which have changed over the years Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they put this on as a husband-wife team effort (laughs) and of course things just change over time and it really just depends on volunteers and the right energy and passion to show up it really does it really does and these folks give up their entire holiday season you know it's it's like folks that work in restaurants over the holidays or actors who are in the Christmas carol like there are a lot of people who just work behind the scenes making sure our holidays are awesome and so you know we will miss the lights but I think it's about time Ken and his family and friends and volunteers get to you know hang out the day after uh, Thanksgiving like the rest of us with our soft pants on and eat pie Um, I think they have earned that privilege over these many years and you know the rest of us will pick it up and and create some new holiday traditions. As we are standing here, there are vehicles driving past through this holiday light display, which uh, has colorful lights. Mm -hmm. We also have images of beloved characters there's holiday music playing and you know it's just this fun funky awesome local tradition you know when I started this job it was one of the things that folks told me about during my interview process because I was trying to get an idea of what's this community like like what do we do what what are holidays like you know and and they were like you won't believe what we do you know we had this awesome guy Ken Pastega whose family has created this tradition and it was one of the things that I was like this place is special I think I want to go work there I mean really it, it really was one of the many things that I was like huh This is kind of an extraordinary community. Um, But yeah, I started May 1st, so this is my first holiday season. May May 1st of 2023. Yeah, 2023. Yeah, yeah. We are speaking with Tommy Douglas, who is the director of Natural Areas, Parks, and Events Mm -hmm. for Benton County. We are here at the Benton County Fairgrounds. As we record this, it is Friday, Mm -hmm. the day after Thanksgiving of 2023. And uh, traditionally, is this when the holiday lights display starts up, when folks start driving through the day after Thanksgiving? That's right. The folks start driving through, it start, starts to get, you know, twilight the day after Thanksgiving. But these volunteers have been here for at least three or four weeks setting up. I oh. mean, it's a it's a process that takes weeks and weeks of, of effort to, to set up. So, uh, yeah, now everyone's kind of tired and ready, I think, to go back home and, and um, eat some leftovers because all these volunteers have been working long like nights to get things set up. But, yeah, it's great. And it'll run through the end of the the, um, calendar year. 
How many volunteers are, are here today? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure about today, but I know there are dozens of key volunteers. And then, you know, as far as setup, tear down, you know, we also get folks from the university, students to come help out. So um, I think Ken can tell you specific numbers, but I know hundreds of people have held up, helped out over the years. All right. And I can see that Ken is over here. He's speaking yeah. with uh, another member of the media. He's very popular. He's very very popular tonight, and we are going to get an interview with him here on the Benton County Public Podcast. Thanks for tuning in for this year-end special. Also this hour, we are going to discuss the COVID-19 vaccines that are available right now, which, of course, you can find more information about available vaccines and locations at (laughs) vaccines.gov. We are also hoping to talk about some of the year-end events going on through Benton County. We are speaking with a couple of volunteers who uh, did help put on this holiday light display. We are also joined by Ken Pastega. Uh, Why don't you tell us your names? I'm Mike Strobridge. And I'm Dana Strobridge. What kind of volunteering did you do uh, this year? Well, my job is the organization of the entire program, so I need to call to set up for the trees that are coming in and they're donated, getting lights. How many trees did you have to line up this year? We only had 75 small trees, and then we have six from Shootle. They donate the the entrance trees and then six smaller ones. And then uh, Sunrise Tree Farm, the Malones, they donate the large tree that's in the solar barn. Actually, there's a high level of detail required to make things work. Um, and I first would like to mention, you know, Ken's point that his passion for this is what drew me into it. And um, how much I appreciate the Pastega family over these years, just like everybody else. It was so easy for me to come and, and be a, a volunteer because of that. So I really want to thank the whole family for it. Um, the details are almost endless, it seems. Um, circuits that need to be addressed, making sure that every light we can possibly think of is working properly. Uh, We had many volunteers come and uh, assist with repairs on some of the things that needed to, they wouldn't be operating had the volunteers not come and taken their time to make those things work. We've had high school kids, elementary kids. It's just been over the years, fraternities, just over the years, I think, and Ken especially because of his uh, willingness to, to bring people in and make things happen that way has really kept it alive. About how many volunteers would you say you worked with this year? A couple hundred. Yeah. I think it's also important to mention Kathleen Hutchinson for, for also helping with uh, rally volunteers. She's, she's done that for a number of years. So, And again, she came through this year. And your parents, Ken, started this in, was it 1981? Mm-hmm. The, the display really was a reflection of uh, my childhood. We would go to Mount Shasta, California every year for Christmas, and they had a competitive Christmas display program in the community. And so when Dad decided to do this, he sent an individual that worked for us for 35 years named Ole Brinstall. And there's a plaque here. There's also a plaque for the Strobridge family, too, because Mike's dad gave us the... Grinch scene there 
and it was out at the Pepsi plant for years, wasn't <laughs> yes, it? And you still yeah. have the same Grinch? We still have it's still it, there. still <laughs> hanging in there, isn't it, Mike? It is. Indiana. He's looking good. Yeah. It's, is it in good condition still? It, it is, fortunately. Many, it's many been scenes. inside. Many yeah. scenes. So, yeah. the, the so that dinner. was kind of fun to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what my dad has sent Oli to Mount Shasta with my, my mom went down there also. They took pictures of everything, and then what he did is he came back and improved it. So my mom would say, I need whatever character. Maybe it's uh, Tigger or uh, Snow White or the <laughs> Seven Dwarfs. And she'd draw them out on a piece of plywood. Oli would cut them, and then she would paint them. So the, originally, the almost 100% of the original display she painted... And then when we uh, asked Pepsi to give it back to us, then that was really the community stepped up, so we had an adoption program. We, somebody would adopt a character, we'd give them the materials, they'd paint it, and then they had to bring it back by a certain date, and we only had to remind one person to bring it back, and it was about 150 pieces that we used the first year. Then we had work parties out here that built new stands and it was all put in the ground at Pepsi out in the field. Here it was all pavement and cement so we had to build stands to hold the characters up. And then we added lights. We made it more relevant for children today by adding superheroes, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Nemo. Nemo. Uh, things that were relevant for young kids today that, you know, weren't so much into Mickey. Well, Mickey Mouse has been around forever. But, you know, they wanted something that they they cherished. And yeah, so, like the Minions. or Yeah, exactly. So we tried to, and I'd have my grandkids come out here and they go, I'd say, what would you like out here? One of them wanted, uh, the, what's the horse Unicorn. there? Unicorn. Yeah, so... We went and College Hill painted a unicorn yeah, for us. Philomath High School painted characters. Sweet Home did. Sweet Home, Corvallis, Corvallis Crescent Valley. Valley. Yeah, we had she Dana took we'd load the oh, characters in the crazy. back of her car. She'd take them to <laughs> all the different schools. I mean all of all of Star Wars was Philomath, wasn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. Sandy M. Christian did quite a bit also with Nemo. Yeah, and then who did the uh, the superheroes. Corvallis High. Corvallis High. Yeah. So the art departments love this lady because she kept these high school kids busy. And, and were these projects they were doing year-round or closer to the holidays? I would take them about September, and they had to have them back by Halloween. Yeah, and then we'd put stands under them. We had them cut out. We gave them... Pepsi was a sponsor of the Star Wars so we had all the stand-up characters in cardboard. So we just had them character, and they just painted them. I mean, they're amazing, aren't they? You just walk by them and you said, how exciting is this, these high school kids, to, you know, make something that's here and everybody's enjoying it. What yeah. has been your favorite part of this throughout the years? Watching the kids go through it. Uh, it you're, you're burned out. Right, Mike? <laughs> no, I mean, we're, by we the sleep day, well. we sleep well. one year we were still putting it together and cars were coming through and we were trying to finish everything. And then these kids are just hanging out of the the uh, sides of the cars. They're up the sunroof hanging out and they are just 
big smiles and you go, yeah, it's worth it. You know, it made you feel good, you know, that they would. And they remember it all their lives. We had the Demeris family out here. So these two kids come in. I said, how long have you been out here? One of them says, I started coming out here four. And his brother said, and I was six. And he's probably six two. And his brother's pretty tall also. And they sit in their back this last week with their mom. How old are they now? 16 and uh, 12. Yeah. So it was fun. And they go, oh, we just love coming out here. You know. I go, well, good. Keep coming back. And I always go around, and Mike does it, Dana, and just thank the kids for and the adults for coming out here and we've had a lot of adults that have continued to come mm-hmm. every year like randy hubler mm-hmm. he's been out huber he's been every year and uh uh doug oxen was here working for a day and it just goes on and on and it's like and jerry kasanovic yeah. he was in charge of the sound system you know mike took it over but he came out this last week and made sure everything worked you know and all of us are in our well he's not in his 70s i'm 77 jerry's like 70 he's turning 75 yeah yeah so it's fun seeing all the personalities come back but it's the hardest part of it is managing it and that's what mike did a great job of this year yeah it's making sure everything works you know we have logistics a, and you know, big ladder truck puts the lights up down the middle and the 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 Christmas tree out in the parking lot and all these things. It's just and then we have an individual Lee that uh, Lee sleeper. sleeper that has been here for what maybe five years, helping us out every year. You know. So for those who cannot, I mean, we have people listening, but what are we looking at right now in front of us? Well, you're looking at all the, the the beautiful lights, and the kids just get so excited when they see the lights, and you're you're and they take their time. You watch the cars take their time so they can see everything. And what's interesting is, too, cars will go through multiple times. Now we were lectured about having 53rd Street full of cars, so today Mike and Lee were out in the or that was yesterday we're out in the parking lot. So we could get a lot of cars in the parking lot without clogging up 53rd Street and Reservoir Road, you know. Yeah, traffic is flowing just fine. Yeah. There's there's no obstruction to 53rd Street from yeah. where we're standing. People are just moving through. And uh, during the COVID times, did that affect the operations of this display? Yeah, one year we... We backed off, and the first year during COVID that we put it back on, everybody was wearing masks out here and was very, very conscious of not infecting anybody and not coming if they had COVID, and it was it worked out okay. Well, as you mentioned, volunteers and individuals from the community certainly do their part in making these events come together, but like anything, it really requires a backbone or the glue, and it seems that you have been that for many years for this event, Mr. Pastega. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and my dad just, he'd go out every night and walk the display and say hi to everybody, and (laughs) he was so happy that uh, it was a successful thing that made made people feel good and excited about the holidays, 
you know we've tried to have a little bit of uh you know the you know uh the religious part of christmas you know there's a major scene in a chapel and things like that but most of it is just very uh cheerful characters and the lights and the pagan balance lights and such and the, the tree imagery yeah you know it just the, the bottom line is it just brings joy to people to go through it and you know ken mentioned earlier really gets people in the spirit of of what christmas and the holiday season is about it's just a great great start and of course all season people can can come through it and we tend to get people right up to the last day um, coming through it because they don't like giving it up either. <laughs> and what is the last day? December 31st, yeah. So, Another element that has is, is made it really successful is a few years ago, we started uh, asking if they could donate canned food. We have gotten seven to 8,000 pounds of food every year. You're talking about people who've come through, Canned like food. people who drive through? Yeah, so we have a food drive. And, and what it all started with, the, the Boy Scouts were here, and uh, we were asking them, you know, how's your food drive going? And they go, oh, well, there's less kids and scouts now, so it's, we're not collecting as much food. I said, how about if we put some bins out there in a the sign and we'll see what happens? And... And so it's got, it's grown to seven eight thousand pounds of canned food. So we have uh, food banks. What Five food, banks? food banks? Yes, we have um, South Corvallis Food Bank, Adair Food Pantry, uh, Saint Vincent de Paul, Monroe Gleaners, and College Hill High School is helping us. Mm-hmm. So each each group has a week to collect the food, and then they distribute. Mm-hmm. We are speaking with Ken Pastega, who has been the head organizer of this holiday lights display that is currently on at the Benton County Fairgrounds and about a dozen years back was up at the Pepsi building on the north end of town near Highway 99 in Conifer behind the Pepsi building. This is Dan Crawl for the Benton County Public Podcast. Ken, we would like to thank you on behalf of Benton County and just the community for being the heart and soul and and keeping this alive. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. We've enjoyed it. Yes. I have a lot of grandkids that went through it, and and they sparkle along with the rest of the community. Just seeing the, the lights and all the effort that's gone into this. If you are a homeowner, landlord, or renter, the Corvallis Sustainability Coalition invites you to a program called Affordable Solar, New Funding Opportunities, on Wednesday, December 13th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at the Corvallis Benton County Public Library, which is located at 645 Northwest Monroe Avenue in Corvallis. The Oregon Department of Energy has new cost-saving incentives for installing solar, and three panelists will speak briefly about how they can help, followed by audience questions. Speakers and their topics include Kirk Bailey of Abundant Solar discussing what are the solar incentives that make now a notable time to install residential solar, Julie Williams of Seeds for the Soul 
we'll talk about how lower income and middle income homeowners afford the upfront cost of solar, and Dan Orzech of Oregon Clean Power Co-op will discuss how one can participate in the shift to renewable energy if you're a renter or if your home's roof isn't suitable for solar. Exhibitors will be on hand both before and after the event to talk to attendees and provide personalized guidance on what they can do to make the shift from fossil fuel powered homes to energy efficient homes powered by renewable energy. This event is part of the Shift Together campaign, an initiative of the Corvallis Sustainability Coalition's Energy Action Team. The goal of the campaign is to educate, connect, and support all community members with resources and funding as we make the shift to energy efficiency and renewable energy in our work and living spaces. For more information about this event on Wednesday, December 13th at the Benton County Public Library, or for more information about the Shift Together campaign, you can visit sustainablecorvallis.org. Do you know about fentanyl? Fentanyl is a powerful opioid that has made its way into the illegal drug supply. Fentanyl has no taste or smell and is being sold as common pills or in party drugs. Just a tiny amount can stop your breathing in seconds. Naloxone is a medication to reverse opioid overdose and can help save lives. It is available at no cost to certain individuals. Benton County Health Department wants everyone to learn more about fentanyl, naloxone, and ways to stay safe. You can type fentanyl aware Benton County into your search engine to learn more. That's F-E-N-T-A-N-Y-L-A-W-A-R-E in Benton County. Thanks for joining us for this year-end edition of the Benton County Public Podcast. My name is Dan Crawl. I'm the host and producer of this podcast. And in this next portion of the show, we're going to visit with Cindy DeAngelilo RN, who is a public health nurse and the immunization program coordinator for the Benton County Health Department. Thanks for joining us today on the Benton County Public Podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's start off by talking about some of what you do with the Benton County Health Department. I understand you provide a safety net vaccination clinic uh, in the health department? Correct. So we provide vaccinations to, to really anybody. Our priority is for people who do not have a medical provider or don't have insurance where they cannot get vaccinated at a retail pharmacy. So we do fill that gap, although um, we do vaccinate anybody who needs it and can't get it elsewhere. But it's generally underserved populations? It is. It is. I do some vaccinations out in the community to populations who don't have access, for instance, at community outreach. Um, at the unhoused service centers at the Benton County Jail. So I provide vaccines out in the community as well. So what does it look like when you go to the, to the jail? 
Mm-hmm. So I work really closely with the jail nurse, and um, she uh, lets me know when we have adults in custody who need a specific vaccine. I go pretty much every year during flu season and also provide COVID vaccines there, as well as other vaccines that um, the adults in custody are in need of. So we work together, and I go to the jail and provide those vaccines to those who, who want them. During COVID times, say in 2020, were there a lot of people who were hesitant? Or would you say it was folks were maybe more eager, somewhere in the middle? Um, It really depends on the individual. Certainly, there are people who are hesitant to accept vaccines in all populations, anywhere I go. Yeah, but in general, most people do want the vaccine and they do want to have access to it. And I understand you also oversee the immunization programs at Benton and Lynn Community Health Centers? Yes, we have six community health centers. And so um, as my role as a, in public health, it is my responsibility to oversee those immunization programs, be the clinical expertise for, for them and private providers in the community as well to make sure that there's access to vaccines and to make sure that vaccines are handled safely as well so that the community can have um, trust that the vaccine that they're getting has been um, handled well and is being given appropriately. Do you feel like overall the access then for most people in Benton County is good if they wish to get a vaccine? I do. I do. There are times when it's been difficult, um, the height of COVID, when a new vaccine comes out, the the very beginning of influenza season when everybody wants it all at once. That's a little difficult and not everybody can get their vaccine on the same day. So, but yes, in general, access to, to vaccinations in Benton County is excellent through our primary care providers, through our retail pharmacies and our community health centers and, and the health department. As of early December of 2023, are there any significant time? wait times? Mm-hmm. Right now it's good. Um, but when the newest COVID vaccine came out, um, the supply was low and slow. And pharmacies got it first, of course, but they got about 10% of what they asked for. So it was very difficult for people who wanted to get vaccinated right away. Sometimes there was a three to four week wait to get an appointment for a vaccine. Now that's all cleared up and people can get in usually same week. When was the new vaccine issued? Uh, uh, Into September, early October. And was that just true, those long wait times, was that just true in Benton County or was that kind of a, a statewide Concern Nation, nationwide. nationwide, absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we're all caught up as as of early December. Yeah, we're doing very well with access. Yeah, and so that our listeners can be on the same page, can you describe how vaccines work and specifically the serious health consequences that are prevented with vaccinations? Yes, absolutely. So your body's own immune system builds, if you will. Um, your own organic internal medicine chest. You receive a vaccination that's synthetic or inactivated, and that that teaches your immune system to identify and create an antibody to a serious infection. The vaccine can't cause disease. It's only strong enough to trigger your immune system to build its own antibody. Then when you're exposed to that infection, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, your immune system's ready and it can deactivate that infection. 
Um, in this way, you don't have to take the risk of serious consequences from infections, death, hospitalization, long-term disabilities. Um, I can tell you, in the course of my 45-year career in healthcare, I have personally seen infants on a respirator because they got pertussis, which is whooping cough. I've seen a child die of chickenpox. Child was healthy before they got chickenpox, and they died. Um, I've seen a patient with such severe tetanus, um, which causes muscle spasms, that bones were broken. They, they had muscle spasms that caused fractures. I've seen infants born with congenital defects, blind, deaf, brain damage, due to the mother getting rubella when, when she was pregnant. I've seen people who are deaf because of mumps. I've seen teens with brain damage and amputated legs because they got meningococcal disease. Some of them died. Uh, I've seen a child die of influenza. Um, there are vaccines to prevent all of these diseases and their severe consequences. We don't have vaccines for mild, self-limited illnesses. We just vaccinate for the infections that cause high mortality and morbidity. This is the best, best way to help protect you and your family from these serious diseases and terrible consequences. Back around 2020, when COVID-19 became a new thing to mm -hmm. the public, there was a lot of skepticism that there were adverse reactions to the vaccine. As a health specialist, have you ever witnessed any? Mild reactions is all I have seen with the COVID vaccine here. Um, what I, kind of reactions? It's, it's normal to have a response to a vaccine. So that means your, your immune response is happening and you feel it. And so that might be redness and swelling at the site of the injection. That's an immune response happening right there. Or you feel tired, achy, run down. You may get some chills. You may have a fever. Those are all normal um, responses to a vaccine. A reaction is more like an allergic reaction or some severe health consequence. It's difficult to know if it was caused by the vaccine or just something that was going to happen anyway. Um, but I do, and most medical professionals do, follow the data and we follow the reports, the safety reports on all vaccinations um, to know are there early signs? For instance, you know, we, we learned th through the course of vaccination that young adolescent males had a higher risk for myopericarditis, inflammation of the heart tissue. We also know that the rate of myocarditis is very high in that group from natural infections. Um, going back to things that I've observed in my career, I once took care of a young man who had very serious heart damage due to influenza. So we know that these things happen normally after infections. And so it makes sense that very rarely, sometimes, those same things are going to happen after a vaccination. But they're rare, and they happen, they're, you're much less likely to have a bad outcome from a vaccine than you are from the natural infection. With the science being where it is now, <laughs> and that we've had, well, three years to try out the vaccines, or almost three years, to try out the vaccines and see how they've worked. How does that relate to public confidence? For instance, when it's time to get a booster, do they feel 
confident in getting that, or does it often require some kind of persuading? I, I think overall, the community is has faith in vaccinations and they have faith in the medical system, but that's not everybody. And there are brilliant people who have concerns about anything medical, including vaccinations. And at that point, it is more an issue of providing um, unbiased information about effectiveness and safety, how vaccines work. Um, I can talk to you about how vaccines are authorized and monitored for safety. So the FDA regulates vaccines to make sure they're safe and effective. The CDC provides clinical guidance for vaccine use. So both of these advisory boards are staffed by large panels of medical experts whose singular goal in their career is to protect and preserve human life, then the quality of human life. Um, before a vaccine can be approved, it goes through extensive testing to show that it's safe and it's effective and that the benefits outweigh the risks. There are four levels of clinical trials. Um, so once a vaccine is approved by the FDA, the CDC both continue to monitor its safety through multiple systems. There is public reporting, um, two systems for public reporting. There is provider mandatory reporting for providers um, when there is even a hint of an adverse reaction to a vaccine that has to be reported. Um, there is de-identified collated data um, from medical records from 190 million people. So all of these things, all of these systems work together to, to monitor the safety of vaccines. And it goes on. It doesn't stop once a vaccine is regulated. Um, I, I believe that vaccines are the most um, monitored and regulated medical intervention there is in the United States. So far with the COVID vaccines, have there been any recalls or otherwise pulling back of certain vaccines? Yeah, sure. So um, you may remember the Johnson & Johnson um, COVID vaccine. Early on. One of Early on, yeah. It was one that was highly sought after at the beginning because it was a one dose. You didn't have to have multiple doses. Um, it was effective and it, and it was a um, effective and safe vaccine. However, um, the, the FDA and the CDC recommended the mRNA vaccines above it, the Pfizer and the Moderna brand vaccines that were mRNA-based, as well as the Novavax, which is a different type of COVID vaccine, because there was a higher risk of blood clots with the J&J &J vaccine. It was low, it was rare, but it was still different from the other vaccines. So they- And wasn't it blood clots in the legs, if I remember correctly? For the most part, yes, yeah. So those kind of blood clots can happen with a natural infection as well. However, the rate of that happening with vaccinated people was higher than that with the other types of COVID vaccines. So they um, decided to recommend it only to those who could not get an mRNA vaccine. We're speaking with Cindy D'Angelillo RN. She is a public health nurse and the immunization program coordinator for the Benton County Health Department. 
She has kindly joined us today on the year-end edition of the Benton County Public Podcast, and we are talking about the latest in the flu season, as well as COVID vaccines. And I should ask, as of early December 2023, how would you rate the flu and COVID season shaping out in Benton County? Oh, sure, sure. Currently um, in Oregon, we, we get data that is Oregon-based. We don't necessarily get this great data just for Benton County. So I'm going to share with you a little of both. So um, in Oregon, influenza cases are low compared to the rest of the nation, but they are on the rise. Um, we can measure that by the percentage of positive flu tests. So right now, those are around 2% in Oregon. About 2% of the people who are getting tested for influenza are having a positive test. That is a little increase from the week before, and that's expected in the annual flu season. Um, and then also wastewater surveillance in Benton County. That is, it's actually Corvallis specific because it comes from the city septic system. So that wastewater surveillance shows low levels of influenza at that this time. So if you've not had your flu vaccine, now is really the time to do that. Um, it takes about two weeks to develop ro robust immunity. So we're seeing this rise across the state and now's the time to get your flu vaccine. And then for COVID um, surveillance, this is, a, again, all Oregon data. Um, most testing's done at home and not reported to the state like it was at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Um, of the voluntary COVID test reporting, 8.5% in Oregon are positive. Um, and that's down from about 15% in September. Then the Corvallis wastewater um, surveillance in Benton County shows low to moderate levels of COVID, and we're, we're at a pl plateau. It really hasn't changed much um, in the last month. So right now, where are we at as far as early December of 2023 with COVID-related hospitalizations? Mm -hmm. Again, this is specific to all of Oregon, and there isn't really a seasonal trend as we see with influenza. Um, hospitalizations in Oregon are rising from about 1.4 per 100,000 people to 6.8 per 100,000 people in September. So the 1.4 um, was June and the 6.8 is September. In Oregon, we have lost about 9,000 of our residents to COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. And so um, that is deaths with COVID reported as the primary cause of death or a contributing factor to the death. Right now, um, the death rate from COVID in Oregon is measured week by week. And so our last data was 10 people were lost in a week. At our peak, we experienced deaths on the 256 deaths um, in one week of October of 2021, 196 deaths a week in January of 22. So the good news is that we're down, but the bad news is people are still dying of COVID. Are these new strains weaker then? We know that, that all viruses do that. They mutate, and some of the strains can be really vir virulent and some not so much. So 
What we're seeing with the newest strains are that they do tend to not be as, um, as severe. They tend to not um, cause as many hospitalizations and deaths as those that we were seeing there in 21 and 22. We are speaking with Cindy DeAngelillo RN. She's a public health nurse and the immunization program coordinator for the Benton County Health Department. You're listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. We'll be back in a moment. It's everyone's responsibility to help prevent human-caused wildfires. It's important to practice basic wildfire safety while visiting Oregon's scenic areas and have awareness of weather conditions, restrictions, and wildfire prevention activities around the state. Prepare your home by creating defensible space. Help prevent wildfires when you're out and about, at home, or at work. Have an emergency plan and know your evacuation levels. Sign up for local emergency alerts and warnings at oralert.gov and learn more about how to prevent wildfire at keeporegongreen.org. You're listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. This is Dan Crawl, and I am joined by Cindy DeAngelillo RN, a public health nurse, also the immunization program coordinator for the Benton County Health Department. And she's joined us here on the Benton County Public Podcast. Since we've been discussing vaccines and the flu shot, I should ask, what are some of the locations where people in Benton County can go? Absolutely. So people can go to their primary care provider, their clinic or their doctor's office. They can go to a retail pharmacy. Also, SamCare Express has um, uh, vaccination appointments or the health department for both their COVID and their flu vaccines. You can do an internet search of local pharmacies and actually schedule your own appointment online rather than calling them. Um, Or they can call their primary care provider or the health department to schedule those appointments. In general, if somebody were going to their primary care provider in in the next few weeks for just a general checkup, can they generally get the vaccine the same day if they just ask? Absolutely. In fact, in, in general, most providers will ask you when you are there, how about getting your the vaccines that you're due for today as well? What is the cost of this latest vaccine? Well, it ranges about $140 to $180 per dose, but most insurance companies, um, including Medicare and Medicaid, are covering the, the um, vaccines, whether it's the flu or the COVID. The full cost? Yes, yes, the full cost. Um, there are also programs that will pay for vaccines for people without insurance. So the Bridge Access is a federal program that provides no-cost COVID vaccines for adults without health insurance. Those Bridge Access um, vaccines are available at the health department. Um, there's also the Vaccines for Children's program, which has been around almost 20 years, which provides no-cost vaccines, including COVID, um, and every vaccine recommended for children who are 18 and under any recommended vaccine, including their flu and their COVID, if the child does not have health insurance, is completely no cost to the family. Um, There are also no-cost influenza vaccines for adults who are uninsured available at the health department. One of the things I personally found the most unusual about COVID, not that I study viruses, but you really 
couldn't tell who it was going to hit really hard and who it wouldn't. There were people who had very good health history, mm-hmm. no indication that they would be especially vulnerable, and then COVID changed their entire world. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that, you know, um, because immunity wanes over time. The recommendation is for all people six months and over to get the new 20. 20- 2324 COVID vaccine, unless, of course, there's a specific medical reason or contraindication to vaccination, in which case they should have an evaluation with their medical um, provider for advice about that. But we do know that healthy, active people of all ages can become very, very sick from a COVID infection. Um, in addition to just the disruption of their daily life, work, and school. People can suffer some very severe long-term consequences, um, fatigue, and cognitive changes from COVID. Um, Elders and people with elevated risk factors, pregnant people, small children are all vulnerable to severe infection as well. So you're you're right, and your experience is is true um, that a perfectly healthy person can get a virus that is mild to somebody else, but it can kill them. What if you got the vaccines on the first year and then maybe the second year didn't get a booster, but you you got COVID? Mm -hmm. Would that be itself like getting a a booster if you were to get COVID a second time? In some ways, yes. Um, What we can see is that immunity from a COVID infection generally lasts about 90 days a good robust immunity for about 90 days after that it too does wane so like other vaccines um, sometimes boosters are required the influenza changes every year we need a new vaccine for that every year tetanus you get a booster every 10 years because your immunity wanes from that as well Um, some some vaccines are offer lifelong protection Uh, hepatitis B, hepatitis A are some of those. But with COVID, we know that your immunity wanes. Is polio one of those vaccines that you only get one time? Polio is a series of vaccinations that we generally give in childhood, and we do not need to repeat once they've had that primary series, unless they're going into an area in the world where there is um, natural polio transmission, in which case we will give a booster. Similar to like malaria. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My final question for you today is in addition to the vaccines and boosters, is there anything else that the county health department would recommend for overall wellness this season? Yes, absolutely. Of course. Um, Maintain your healthy and your active lifestyle, eat a nutritious diet, and of course, get plenty of fresh air. Um, Avoid large crowds during the respiratory season, which is now. Consider wearing a mask at crowded indoor spaces. Uh, Keep your distance from people who have respiratory symptoms. Put on a mask if you need to. Um, And very importantly, you yourself, stay home when you're sick. Also, um, now is the time to get your children and your teens caught up on their routine vaccinations as well. Call your primary care provider to schedule. Do not wait to receive a letter from your school or your child care informing you their children are excluded from attending. Schedule those vaccine appointments now. Get everybody caught up and protected. 
We've been speaking with Cindy D'Angelilo, RN. She is a public health nurse, also the immunization program coordinator at the Benton County Health Department. I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Just a reminder that you can see a calendar of events by going to co.benton.or.us and click on Calendar. There you can see schedules for meetings such as the Board of Commissioners, the Hope Advisory Committee, Community Health Center's Board of Directors meeting, and in January, events such as the Benton County Event Center and Fairgrounds Board of Directors meeting. You can find events such as this listed on the calendar at co.benton.or.us. To find out more about events taking place at the county fairgrounds, you can go to bceventcentercorvallis.net. There you can view details of various 4-H meetings, the fair board meeting, and events next year, such as the Friends of the Corvallis-Benton County Public Library sale in late April. That's all at bceventcentercorvallis.net. If you're looking to stay informed and connected in Benton County with accurate and timely local government information, you're invited to sign up for Flash Alert, which is a direct link to crucial updates including Benton County media releases. There is more information online at flashalert.net slash ID slash Benton C-O-G-O-V. If you are interested in subscribing to Benton County's e-newsletter for email updates, you can go to co.benton.or.us and you can follow at BentonCOGov on social media. If you are interested in a career with Benton County, some of the jobs posted in December of 2023 include Assistant County Administrator, Corrections Deputy, Deputy District Attorney, and Family Nurse Practitioner, among others. You can visit co.benton.or.us and click on Careers for more information. We'd like to thank you again for joining us on this year-end edition of the Benton County Public Podcast. Our executive producer is Corey Grogan. We'd like to thank Ken Pastega, Tommy Douglas, Mike and Dana Strobridge, Cindy D'Angelilo R.N., and our theme music was written and performed by Doug Sowers. We'll conclude today with a holiday tune by Wild Hog Gumbo. You may recognize their signature sound as played at the Corvallis Farmer's Market during the spring, summer, and fall months. This is a song called Santa's Up to Date, written by Sid Beam and performed by Wild Hog Gumbo of Corvallis. And speaking of the farmer's market, you can check their winter indoor schedule at locallygrown.org. You've been listening to Episode 7 of the Benton County Public Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Dan Crawl.
Now say 